This program is sponsored by North Valley Church of Christ. There's a message true and glad for the sinful and the sad. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. It will give them courage new. It will help them to be true. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring out. Good afternoon, folks, and welcome back to another episode of Redeeming the Time. I'm your host, Chris Macy, and I am the minister here with the North Valley Church of Christ. Well... Man, well, the, the weather here in Arizona is fantastic. We've we got some good weather, but things don't look so great in the world, do they? Man, it is difficult. In fact, we, we look back at several years, and it seems like all the things that, that seem that we, we would sometimes have confidence in have been eroding away. It, would, would you have said four or five years ago, that we had some of the best medical care in the world? I mean, you could say that we had some confidence in that. And then the coronavirus came around. And, oh, man, people's confidence in our medical system really eroded. It looked like our economy could not be stopped. And, boy, it has been sputtering. It looks like we may, or we're going into another recession. Inflation's going up. And it's just, and now... After all the things that have happened with the coronavirus, the shutdown, now there's war. Russia and the Ukraine. Our confidence is eroding, isn't it? Proverbs chapter 3, verse 36 says, For the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught. Confidence. You know, I was in the military, and I remember when I was in basic training, boot camp, Part of our training was to, you know, to teach you to have confidence. Confidence in your fellow soldier, confidence in your weapon, confidence in the gas mask. Oh, i got to turn on my uh, cell phone audio off here. apologize for that. But conf- confidence in, um, in my gas mask. Now, we all know what the gas mask was for, but how do you build up your confidence in that? Well, they, they uh, march you, or mar- they marched us all the way out in the middle of nowhere to this building, no windows. And I remember... We were walking up to this building, and there was this yellow plume of smoke coming out the top. It was yellow. You could see all these other soldiers ahead of us. They were already there, and they were in line to go in. And then on the back side, you could see these uh, further away. These other soldiers, they were coming out. Their arms were outstretched. They looked like they were in pain. There was tears coming out of their eyes, snot pouring out of their nose. And I'm thinking, we have to go in there? <laughs> and yeah, yeah, they... they uh, Right before you go in, they have you put your gas back on, put it on correctly, make it tight, have a good seal, blow the air out. Then you walk in. The place is filled with smoke. You can feel it on your on your skin. They tell you don't touch your skin because wherever you touch your skin, it's going to burn. And so where the mass was pressing hard on your face and you started to sweat, you could feel it burning. And you could breathe, though, and you were breathing just fine. No problem. The, the gas was not affecting you. But then they tell you, take off the mask. Why? Why would they want you to do it? So you know that that gas does hurt. It hurts. And that gas mask was protecting you. So take, we take it off. And they make you give a little speech. You'll say your serial number of your weapon and talk, all this talk. So you have to breathe. 
And man, it was painful. It, some people are not so bad. For me, I remember for me, it, it was painful. I did not like it at all. Then they had you put the gas mask back on, blow out all the gas that's inside of it, and then you could breathe just fine. Of course, you're, now your gas mask is filling with all this snot from your nose. Then you come out, take it back off, and oh, horrible, horrible. But guess what? We had confidence that the mask worked. What is or where is your confidence with God? Do we keep this confidence above all other things in our life? If your confidence in our economy, in, the, in our medical system, world peace, whatever it might be, maybe your confidence is in your wife or your husband, your children, a family or friends, those things can erode, can't they? And if your confidence has been wavering, if you've been scared and worried and high anxiety, those are red flags that your confidence is in God is not where it ought to be. So are we, are we trying to fix all of our own problems in life without ever going to the Lord? I hope that's not the case. Where do we place God in our lives? How much confidence do we put in him to help us through difficult times? <coughs> So this, this afternoon, I want us to look at several examples. I did this Sunday morning here at North Valley. I want us to look at several examples in the Bible about confidence. We're going to examine Gideon, Job, Israel, and of course, finally, ourselves. We're going to start here in Judges chapters 6 and 7 about Gideon. I'm not going to read through all of this. You'll have to go back and look at that. But I want to hit little bits and pieces here for us. But here, <coughs> excuse me for the coughing, but Israel's, you know, uh, they're, they're in trouble. God, uh, they had turned their back, did evil in the sight of God again, so he handed them over to the hands of the Midianites for seven years, chapter 6, verse 1. And finally Israel called out uh, to the name of the Lord, and he sent Gideon, an angel. And when the angel came to Gideon, he was in a wine vat, beating out the wheat. You know, he's got some confidence issues there. And the angel says to Gideon, who's there beating out the wheat, the Lord is with you, O valiant warrior. Valiant warrior. The man who's hiding in a wine vat. Now some, some try to say, well, he wasn't hiding, Chris. I mean, he was doing something smart. The Midianites were coming stealing their food, and he is doing it in the wine vat, so they won't steal his food. The man, that, that may be true, but you've got to remember, he doesn't have much confidence, because later on we're going to see that he's going to do the will of the Lord, but instead of doing it by day, he does it by night. Because why? He was afraid of his father, his father's household, and the people of the city. And we see that. Gideon's uh, <clears throat> confidence wasn't very strong. So I think the Lord's trying to build him up. You're a valiant warrior. And so we read on in chapter 6, verse 27, after God had told Gideon that he would be with him and what God wanted him to do to go get rid of the, these idols, and it says that Gideon took ten men of his servants, I was just saying, and did as the Lord had spoken to him. And because he was too afraid of his father's household and the men of the city to do it by day, he did it by night. Gideon's confidence in the Lord is not as strong as we might expect. Despite the angel coming down to give him confidence and put fire to Gideon's offering in 621. So Gideon survived the day, did as the Lord told him. Do you think his confidence is a little stronger now? Well, it is. <coughs> Excuse me. But there's a and, and there's this first positive. Gideon prays to God. And he doesn't just wait around for something to happen, but he prays in chapter 6, verses 36 and 37. And he says to the Lord, 
If you will deliver Israel through me, as you have spoken, behold, I will put a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. If there is dew on the fleece only, and it is dry on all the ground, then I will know that you will deliver Israel through me, as you have spoken. Then I will know. Gideon will make yet one more test because of the weakness of his own flesh. He asked God to to let the fleece be dry and the rest of the ground around the fleece to be wet with dew. And God, once again, does what Gideon asked. Why? Why would God allow such a thing? You know, Gideon does not doubt the power of God. That's not the problem here. He's not not testing God in that way. He Gideon doubts, doubts his own self, his own weaknesses. He wants to be sure that God will be with him in the battle because he knows that God will win, but he also knows that by himself he cannot win. Am I really the guy? Am I understanding this correctly, Lord? Am I the guy? So God is building up Gideon's confidence. And next we see Gideon building up a great army. But then the Lord tells him in chapter 7, verse 2, oh, people with you are too many. For me to give Midian into their hands, for Israel will become boastful too. They'll have their confidence will be in themselves, saying, My own power has delivered me. God wants Gideon and Israel's confidence not to be in their military, not to be in themselves, but where? In him, in God. So the armies dwindled dwindled down all the way down to three hundred men. Just three hundred against an army that covered the valley like locusts, and their camels were too many to count. So here we have Gideon, valiant warrior, 300 men standing before the army, an army they can't count. How strong is Gideon's confidence? All this time we have seen God working with him, building up that confidence in him. <coughs> Excuse me. And now here is a real test of Gideon's confidence in the Lord. Now this time, without Gideon asking God, here God comes down to him and he speaks to him in chapter 7, verses 9 through 11. God says, Arise, go down against the camp, for I have given it into your hands. But but if you are afraid to go down, go with Purah, your servant, down to the camp, and you will hear what they say. And afterward, Your hands will be strengthened. Confidence, right? That's what he's talking about. Confidence. That you may go down against the camp. So he goes down there, and they hear this this, uh, dream those guys have that that Gideon and his men are going to defeat them. And they do. Was it his confidence? A superior? Nope. The confidence of his 300 men and Gideon's were found in the Lord. And the Lord built them up. To it, You can see this slow progress of the Lord working with them so that they will look to him. You know, in, the, in light of what's happening in, in Ukraine with Russia, it makes you wonder. Makes you wonder, who is God providentially with Ukraine? We, we support this group called the Eastern European uh, Ministry, EEM. They have been giving Bibles out in the Ukraine, putting Bibles in the public schools. And apparently the government there is really big on teaching children the Bible and making that a Christian nation. You can see it uh, 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 from what I'm hearing and seeing from the EEM. And so I wonder I wonder if God is intervening providentially, not miraculously, but providentially in this, helping them along the way. Because, you know, Russia should be steamrolling over Ukraine. They should have steamrolled over these guys. But they haven't. They haven't. 
And man, that, that, that country is fighting. I wonder, is God building up the confidence of the Ukraine? When this is all over, because it's pretty much over, Russia is not, they're not going to be able to hold on to the Ukraine. They're not going to do. It's just not going to happen at this point. So when hopefully, if that if that's true, I hope it is. When this is over, I, Ukraine is going to be stronger for it. And I wonder if they're confident. I hope and I pray, and I hope you will too, that their confidence in the Lord will be stronger, not in themselves, but in the Lord, for the blessings that they have been shown to overcome such a great foe as Russia, if that does indeed happen. I kind of see Gideon in his 300 here. I wonder, but I could be wrong. I don't know. We have to wait and see. Let's look at our next person. (coughs) Apologize. Let's look at Job and his confidence in the Lord. Now, when we turn to Job, it opens up telling us all that that Job had in this world. His great wealth, his family, his prayer life to the Lord. And we also get that rare glimpse in heaven in the discussion between God and Satan himself. And Satan believed that that uh, the easy life that God made for Job, that is what kept him faithful to God. That was his confidence, was this easy life. And that, that is, you can say that's true of many people. They have confidence, not because of God. Their confidence is in themselves and the things that keep them happy. But that wasn't true of Job. So God allowed Job to go down to the earth and do whatever he wished, except Satan could not touch Job physically. And we, we read about all the things that happen as the servants become to, begin to come to Job. Oh, man, I was out in the field with your, your, your animals, and these people come, they take them, they, killed, they took all the animals, they killed all the servants, and I alone am left to tell you what happened. And as he was speaking, as the words were still coming out of his mouth, another servant ran up. Oh, I was over here at the crops, and a great fire or something came and destroyed all the crops and killed all the servants, and I alone am left. To, to tell you all these things, it was a, a raid. And then, and as he was speaking, you know, again and again and again, uh, another comes also and says, "While uh, your sons and your daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house, and behold, a great wind came from across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house, and it fell on the young people, and they died. And I alone have escaped to tell you everything that Job owned, everything taken away." Like that, in a flash, one after another. Even his offspring, his family tree, ended. Yet Job's hope, his confidence was not in his wealth, not in his family. And it says that Job arose and tore his robe, shaved his head because he's mourning. He's, I mean, that's horrible things to happen. So he's in grief. And he fell to the ground and worshipped and said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return there. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Through all this, Job did not sin, nor did he blame God. He, he recognizes who he is. He, I, I, what did I have when I came into this life, he said? What did I have? Nothing. I had nothing. When I leave this life, I'll have nothing. I currently have nothing. I'm, I'm back to where I started. But what I did have, those were blessings from the Lord. And in that, I am grateful. Thank you, Lord, for what I did have in the time I had it. What an amazing attitude. Could we do this? Could we have that kind of attitude? (coughs) What was it about Job that kept him faithful to God? Why was his confidence in the Lord so strong? At the very beginning, 
very beginning of Job, chapter 1, verse 5, it says this. Speaking of his children, when the days of feasting had completed their cycle, Job would send and consecrate them, that's his family, rising up early in the morning and offering burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, perhaps my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did continually. He was a faithful man of God. Even if there was a chance his sons had committed a sin, Job offered sacrifice for them. I believe Job's entire life was like this, and he had built up his confidence in the Lord. So since taking away Job's wealth, his children did not shake his confidence, Satan goes after Job physically. And again, there in chapter 2, the Lord asked him, If you consider my servant Job, no one like him on all the earth, blameless, upright man. Oh, you built a hedge around him, skin for skin, he would say. Put forth your hand now, touch his bone and flesh, and he will curse you to your face. That's what Satan said to the Lord. So he came to Job, <coughs> excuse me, and he'd inflict him with sores all over his body. Job's own wife tells him to curse God and die. Yet his confidence, his confidence was not in his own health. His confidence was not in his wife. It was in God. And then Job's friends come along, right? Sit with him for seven days and nights, not speaking a word because they saw the pain he was in. Good friends, but when they opened their mouth, they, were, they had a misunderstanding of what was going on. And they believed, Job, this is happening to you because of sin. Read the book of Job. That's a good book. Albeit their help was not the right course of action. And if Job's confidence was in his friends... He wouldn't have made it, but it wasn't. It was in God. And despite all that had happened to him, Job's hope and his confidence remained steadfast in the Lord. Is your confidence like that? We've looked at Job. We've looked at Gideon. Let's look at the nation of Israel. I'm hoping that everyone listening here today, you you know in general the stories of these things, so I'm not getting into great detail of each one. And so you probably know, the nation of Israel as a whole, all throughout the Old Testament, they were constantly losing confidence in the Lord, placing their hope in themselves, placing their hope in blocks of wood, stone, other nations like Egypt or Assyria, rather than the power of God. And so when we look at that, and we look, uh, if you remember, over in the book of Ezekiel in chapter 37, there is a section there titled, The Vision of the Valley of Dry Bones. If you don't remember that, go read that. Chapter 37 of Ezekiel, Vision of the Valley of Dry Bones. And before we get into that, I want to get uh, talk about the setting of all the things that have happened up to this point. It's the 12th year of exile for Israel. They've been taken out of their land, placed on foreign, foreign soil in Babylon. The city of Jerusalem has been destroyed. The temple has been destroyed where they would offer sacrifices. Everything that they had their hope in, their confidence in, is gone. No more sacrifices. No more atonement for sins. Nothing. They are not even in their own land. It was all taken away. You remember when Daniel <clears throat> was praying to the Lord and, and the other uh, uh, advisors to the king, they wanted to get Daniel. So they, they said, oh, you can, you can pray to no one but to Nebuchadnezzar. And so they, they knew that Daniel would always pray to God and he would face Jerusalem toward the temple when he would pray. Well, why would he do that? Because that was where people's confidence was. Not that Daniel's confidence was held only to that, but for many of the Jews, that's what it was. And it was destroyed. God destroyed not only the city, but the temple was destroyed. 
and everything in this world that they would put their confidence in, gone. Gone. You know, considering our introduction again, when I was talking about being in basic training, most people, when they join the Army, they, do, they join around the ages of 17, 21. So for most of them, most of their life had been under the care of their parents. They'd always had their mommy and daddy to fall back on. But joining the army, they needed to realize that mom and dad were no longer their source of confidence. And so the drill sergeants would just drill that into them and just beat them down. And that was the point. That was the whole point of that first month of basic training is to beat you down. So you would understand there is nothing and there is no one who's going to help you. You've got nothing. All you can rely on is your fellow soldier and your weapon and your gas mask. (laughs) And that's what they did. And then they'd build you, once you get to that point, they would build you back up into the soldier they wanted you to be. But they needed it first to show you those things you did rely on, those are gone. All you got now is the army. Where did they learn to do that? They learned it from the Bible. That's what God did to the people of Israel. And so the vision of Ezekiel chapter 37, God shows Ezekiel what kind of state Israel is in. They are very dry bones. They're dead. They have lost all material hope. Everything they had put their confidence in had failed them and did not work as they had thought they would. Ezekiel 37.11 says this, Then he, God, said to Ezekiel, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up and our what? Our hope has perished. We are completely cut off. That's exactly where God wanted them to be. Now's the time. Now is the time for Israel to come back to her senses, return to the Lord. In times past, God would use use people within the nation of Israel to bring them out of bondage or save them from the other armies. This time, God doesn't use armies. He does not use Israel, but through the Persian king Cyrus, Israel goes home. Second Chronicles, Chronicles chapter 36. Isaiah prophesied about that in Isaiah 44, 160 years before the rise of King Cyrus. <coughs> and God further explains in Ezekiel 37, 12 to 14, Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will open your graves and cause you to come up out of your graves, my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel. Then you will know that I am the Lord. When I have opened your graves and caused you to come up out of your graves, my people, I will put my spirit within you, and you will come to life, and I will place you on your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and done it, declares the Lord. Man, that is awesome. And doesn't that know what that is right there, what he's talking about? For the Christian today, even though a lot of people, a lot of think that baptism is just a sign. You don't have to do it. But that's not what the Bible says. 2 Peter 3.21, baptism doth now also save us. All throughout the book of Acts, baptism is obviously important. And you can see the symbolism even right here. Paul talks about it in Romans chapter 6 that baptism is being buried in a grave and raised up in a new life. You have to die. And when you do that, when you die to self, God puts a new spirit in you. This is not miraculous. It's not the Holy Spirit. It's the spirit of Christ. It's the life he wants you to have. That's what he's telling the people of Israel. I'm going to put my spirit in you. I want you to think like I do. Stop looking at this world like a man. 
But look at it in, from my perspective. Stop putting your confidence in those things. When we are buried into the baptism, we are buried into that grave, we die being raised up as a new creature added to the one new man. God puts us there. And if we're there, our spirit needs to go away. And we have to take on the spirit of Christ. That's what's going on. That's, that's why we have confidence. Because in Christ, we know we're going to heaven. Because he's the only one who can go. This world, nothing in this world is going to get you there. The United States Army ain't going to do it. Our economy ain't going to do it. It can be taken away like that. We've seen it happen. You're, oh, you think our medical is really good? That's going to keep you alive? Look what happened. That's, I think these are wake-up calls from God to us. Don't put your confidence in these things. You better wake up. Wake up. Turn to the Lord. Have your confidence in him and not in yourself. And I think we ought to be waking up. we got a lot of things to think about. When we see trouble coming, and when we are in the midst of a trial, remember, remember people like Joseph, how in whatever situation he found himself in, and there were some bad situations, he kept his confidence in the Lord. He did not lose hope. Remember Gideon, how he sought after the Lord for confidence, and it was granted to him. Remember Job, and how by his manner of life and faith in the Lord, when trials came, he did not lose his confidence, but he remained steadfast. And above all, remember Christ, who while we were yet sinners, died for us, and knows what you and I, he knows what we're facing in this world. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 to 16 says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with what? Confidence. To the throne of grace, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. That's our confidence. Make the most of the opportunities afforded to you today. Because tomorrow is not promised. All we have is right now. Remember that as we walk with the Lord, Lord willing, all the days of our life. Thank you. And may you have a blessed and wonderful day. Simming up to sweep away till she'll done the better day. Ring it out, ring it out, ring it out, ring it out. Till the sinful world be one for Jehovah's mighty son. Ring it out, ring it out, ring it out. This program was sponsored by North Valley Church of Christ.